podcast, an intersection between humans and technology. My name is Guthrie. I am here with Susan. Hello, Susan. Hey, Guthrie. And we have a guest today. Yes, go for it. Yes. Okay. So we have a guest today, and she is from uh, Copenhagen. And so I'm going to ask her to tell us how she pronounces her, her name, you know, if we were in Copenhagen and doing it the right way. Okay. Hi, everyone. In Denmark, my name is Hille Martens. Hille Martens. Hille. I love your accent. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then, and then in the, in the, uh, the, the Americans would just say, hi, Helen, right? Helen. They call me Helen. Yeah. <laughs> then, yeah. I was born in the States, so I grew up being called Helen whenever I was in an English speaking country. All right. Yeah. So let so so oh got so much stuff to talk about. I don't even know where to start. Uh, How do you guys I'm, know each other? Okay, we'll start there. Yeah, that's, that's so, always a good place to start. We, I think we met. Here's my memory, but you can tell me if I'm wrong. I think we met at the From Business to Buttons conference in um, Stockholm in 2016. Yes. Is that correct? Definitely. I mean, I knew of you way before that, but I kind of stalked you a little bit at the conference. And you I was like, did. It was really cool. Yeah, I, I remember like, you that. Said, you remember you that? Because, Guzzer, you were there, too. She sent well, we me. Don't, I mean, we don't have, like, I mean, I don't know how to say it. We just don't really have, like, that many fans. Oh, oh we do. We're very big. popular. Oh, boy. <laughs> but, like, or okay, I'll take that back. I know, like, obviously you have fans, but, like, um especially across the world and it, it's not something that like i had particularly seen yeah it's true and i remember that at that particular conference we had it hadn't been that long that we were doing the podcast and we had people coming up to us and saying oh i love your yeah, podcast we were on like episode really shocked or something us. yeah i mean that that was but, that was that was almost two years ago now right yeah, yeah. but mm-hmm. i remember you were you had sent me a text yes and said, you know, I'm here at the conference and I really want to meet you. And then there was like this reception and we were all wandering around. And then you were trying to find me. I think the texts were going back and forth. It was like, where are you? <laughs> and then yeah, we finally met. Big venue. Yeah, we did. And we talked quite a few times also during that conference. Yeah. yeah. And then um, the other thing that was really fun was last summer. Mm-hmm. When Guthrie and I were in uh, Sweden again, we took the train over to Copenhagen, and we met you, and we went out for a quick lunch. That was really fun. That was really fun, and the food was amazing. I still, Guthrie, do you remember the food? Yes, of course. It was the three different types of herring. Yes. Very, that's good, yeah. Yeah. Classic Danish smorgasbord, yeah. Called schnappel in Danish. Okay. (laughs) What called what? <laughs> Schmerpel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, see, I apparently I can I should just move to Denmark. I would fit right in. I'd learn the language. I think so. Your accent is pretty amazing, I must say. <laughs> now you now you we ha- we had this conversation when we were in Copenhagen about the fact that, you know, if if someone was just listening in on the podcast and didn't know that you were uh, calling from Copenhagen, you have a very normal American accent. So would you 
tell us a little bit about where you lived and where you grew up, and then we'll we'll go to you know what you're doing now and what you have to do with design and all of that. But why do you have this very American accent? Oh, how much time do we have? <laughs> uh, a long time. There's there's yeah. no time limit on the podcast, really. <laughs> oh goodness. Okay, it's a really long story, but let me tell you, I was born to Danish parents in, um, Scot- well, it was called Scottsdale, but it's now Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah. And uh, we lived there, f- we lived all these different places for like, a, from a year f- to a year and a half until I was about 15. So I lived, I was born in Arizona, then we moved to Geneva in Switzerland, then we moved to Glasgow in, Sco- in Scotland. Then we moved back to Phoenix, and then we moved to California, and then we moved to Denmark again, or again, but that's the first time I lived in Denmark, and by this time I'm seven. Wow. (laughs) And then we moved to Switzerland in the German-speaking part um, by Zurich for like four years, and then we moved back to California, and I lived there for three years in three different places. And then I moved to Copenhagen, and by then I was 15. Wow. Wow. So I the the thing that I always found really cool was uh, when we were chit-chatting, like you like you like you'd say something with like a very like heavy Danish accent, and then you'd basically say something in English that sounded like yeah yeah like you like grew up in Scottsdale like your whole life. Yeah, being able to go back and forth, right? Yeah, yeah. It, just, it just sounded like you like you like completely uh, changed persons. like it was like a totally separate person because it's like it yeah it's just um yeah it's just i suppose it is because i mean culturally denmark and the states are pretty different right yes i guess i am kind of yeah okay so we we got to we got to 16 15 15 yeah then what happened then i was pretty much in copenhagen until i was 20 when i moved to italy for a couple of years, and then I've been back pretty much since. I mean, the house I live in now, I've lived in for 22 years. Oh, wow. That's crazy. <laughs> so uh, one of the questions we like to ask um, uh, traveled people like you, how many languages do you speak uh, and, and read? Um, I'm fluent in Danish, English, German, and Italian. And um, like like fluent because I lived in those places, and then I understand a lot of Spanish, a lot of French, and pretty much all of Swedish. Or like like if you were at a restaurant and yeah. and you needed to like get the waiter's attention and order something. She could Where probably. I? Uh, yeah, I mean, how many how many different languages can you do that in? I think that's what he's asking. Oh, a lot. A lot. I mean, I can even like, yeah, a lot. <laughs> wow. You know, the brain scientist in me wants to like open up your brain and see how, how it's different from like, you know, my brain because I can't, yeah. I can't speak all those languages. So they, uh, uh, Guthrie and I as, as uh, Americans are, are very jealous well, and feel very um, uh, lazy. You, you definitely, yeah. um, you know, especially so so in modern times uh there are because you know of all the great translation technologies that exist and there's there's so many people now speak multiple languages it's not 
it's not that difficult to go about your life and and uh you know but uh so but you know back at back in older days of antiquity in the you know maybe the 1500s 1600s 1700s 1800s there were kind of re, uh, you know speaking different languages was really like a profession and yes. you you would sometimes you know you'd get these kind of i i guess i just want to say like renaissance person you know who who could talk like who, who basically spent like their entire life just learning other languages and they could speak you know all the languages in europe and a little bit of you know like a lot of arabic and like you know just like these real people who focus and i feel like people don't really do that anymore because it's not as needed but um i bet that their their brains are definitely different probably just a guess you know i read a really interesting article that um alzheimer's might be preventable if you're bilingual Mm. isn't that exciting so i'll get back to you guys in like 40 years (laughs) yeah but but uh, you'll get back to us, but by then we'll be we'll have full dementia, so oh no, we won't remember this conversation at all. That's the because we haven't we don't speak all those languages. Well, there's the whole theory that um, so for whatever reasons, for example, uh, uh, like like um, people who are genetically Ashkenazi Jew- Jewish uh-huh. seem to have you know, they score slightly higher than the general population at large on IQ tests. And huh. for the most part, you know, I there there's nothing genetic at all that has to do, that, you know, has correlates with IQ at all. But, and so it's, it's a little interesting. And one of the theories is that if you're Jewish, you grow up, you grow, you like every, you, you grow up and you have to like learn a bit of Hebrew. You're like learning a, se- a second language. And so right. people are starting, even if they don't realize it, they're starting off very young bilingual. And maybe it's just the fact that almost everyone who's who's Jewish, at least traditionally, um, was at least somewhat bilingual. Uh, that kind of could could account for for that. For that's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting theory. That's an interesting theory. Yeah, could, the could, research on that. I, I, I could be totally wrong. Fun. Uh, yeah, but it's a, it's an interesting thought. All right, now that we've gone far afield. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now you, uh, w- right before we got started recording, you said you are about your your one of your UX conferences that you put on is about to happen, yes. and you're very busy with that. So let's take a minute and talk about what you um, what you're doing there in uh, Denmark and what you're doing with UX conferences. So what's the conference that's about to happen? It's called UX Copenhagen, and it will be the fourth annual conference. Okay. Yeah. So I'm really excited about it. Um, I have new themes every year, and the okay. Theme what's is, yeah? What's this year? This year is ethics and the role. Oh. Of the oh. Oh. That's It's that's man. That's like We're it's groaning. It's it's. Uh, oh, you're sick of it. No, no, no not at all. But no, it's, it's it's like the hot. Topic. But it's it's the hot. Yeah. Uh, it's the hot new uh, thing. Everyone is jumping on the ethics train. Oh and yeah, uh, and it's uh, and there are very, uh, as we've talked about before on different podcast episodes, a little bit at least. There's really different approaches uh-huh. to how to deal with ethics in design and ethics in. UX. And I would imagine, though, that it's 
it is it to me it is a little surprise and maybe it's not maybe maybe i have it wrong but it does feel like uh, especially um you know denmark and and the scandinavian countries there's such a strong social ethical ethos that exists mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that's just like part of the cultural fabric uh, of those countries out there. i it, it is interesting i would imagine that those countries would kind of be like leading the charge or would be like very very interesting even before it got to the states um but we're seeing it strong in the states here too so i I find that kind of fascinating that's great no yeah i agree i do think that we are very strong with our ethical opinions um i'm just not sure that we always you know are allowed to express it or you know Mm. um how should i say this i mean i i often find that if you're stuck in something that you find is ethically wrong, then it's really hard to get out of the situation, mm. especially work-wise. Yeah. I see that here too. So, so do, so are people, what kinds of talks are people giving on oh, ethics? So great. Well, um, it actually kind of got divided a little bit. So now we're talking like day one is, is a focused a lot on accessibility and day two is more about like diversity and um, uh, what else was I? Oh, and then oh, on day two. Well, then and then ethics is big on day two also. I have Mike Montero coming over, mm-hmm. and he has a big talk on ethics. And uh, another interesting thing that we're going to talk about is the ethics of designing sex bots. Uh huh. Yeah. So that's going to be really fun. So you know, I. You you obviously don't like to tackle controversial topics in your conferences. <laughs> no, I'm <laughs> you very like to do the normal topics. Yeah, well, that sounds really interesting. Um, yeah, I, I, we can't. We're not going to be there, as you know, unfortunately. But uh, I wish I wish we could. So, how many people usually come to this conference? About two hundred. Okay, it's yeah. a nice size. So everybody yeah, network uh, and. I wouldn't mind 50 more, but yeah, you know. <laughs> no, it's good. I like it small because it's, yeah, like you said, we get to network. Most people get to know each other and, you know, you can really put some good connections together that way. There's not too many. How did you get into putting on a conference? Like how did that happen? It was by accident. And I mean, a real accident. Um, I, it was a kind of a joke. Um, I really had an accident where I fell and hit my head and I slipped on some ice. So I got a bad concussion and whiplash and a slip disc and all these other oh nice my things. Gosh. <laughs> it's really bad. Yeah. And then um, I kind of got laid off a very short while after that. And it's a long story. That, that, that was, was a good year. Mm, no, <laughs> really not. No. But, you know, wow. it changed my life. And yeah. I was... Um, probably working a nine to five job that I wasn't totally happy about. So maybe, uh-huh. you know, it's not bad anyway. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, it definitely opened some other doors for me. And um, so it started out as a joke. I really wanted to go to England to the Nelson Norman Group's uh, usability week yeah. in London, but it's so expensive and I couldn't even afford, you know, a hotel or sure. staying over there. week. <laughs> So I, I was kind of joking that, yeah, let's do it here. I'll do my own conference. And then uh, things just kind of went together. And 
we, I was with a couple other people and we pulled off a conference and sold 144 tickets. So it was kind of crazy. And six months later, we did another conference and we sold like almost 200 tickets. So. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. So, and then the year after we decided, you know, they wanted something different than I did. So I broke off and I did UX Copenhagen on my own. Uh-huh. Oh, that's really great. I'm really happy about it. So you, is this, do you do this once a year then? Yes. Okay. I do. And I've been hosting a um, behavioral science conference also. Yeah. Um, on a smaller scale for like 70 people and in, mostly in Danish. So that's why. And you were on the first one. Yes. Uh, yes. We did it remotely. Yes. My and gosh. I did not do it in Danish. No, <laughs> you could have. <laughs> but I maybe could have like done it in English with a Danish accent. That's not hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's great. Well, so so do you th- have you been to UX conferences in any in the states? Um, no. Okay. I haven't. You've been to some others, I assume, like in Europe? and I have, yeah, like a bunch of them in Berlin and Lisbon and Madrid. So it seems like UX is very strong in, in Europe and Scandinavia and that there are, I mean, there's a, I know there's a number of conferences and it also, I don't know, sometimes I think, I haven't looked at this, the actual numbers for this, but sometimes... When I, when I, my impression is that the prevalence of user experience work, um, uh, as, uh, let's see, in comparison with design and development mm-hmm. programming, it just seems like there's a lot of user experience people and user experience work going on. Um, you know, more proportionally than perhaps in the States. I mean, I got through, I have no data on this, but do you know what I mean? If you just look at like uh, uh, just how the sense you have of how many people are involved in doing yeah. uh, UX work and in UX conferences relative to, you know, tech in general. I, I, I think, um, I mean, I think that's probably true. Um, there's also, I should say, and and I've said this before, that I think conferences and UX in general has a different connotation in Europe than it often does in the states. Really? Um, what do you mean by that? So, okay, so it's it's like a it, this is so so it's it's a it's like a three part thing. So the first mm-hmm. part is just the different. So conferences in the United States are are generally seen as. Um, as company centric. So um, the people who go for the most part, and obviously there are lots of exceptions, but generally uh, people who go to conferences are there as like a representative of their company. And so the company agrees to like pay for them to go, but in exchange, like they're supposed to network and meet people and, and do a bunch of stuff. Okay. So that's, so that's, that's part one. So whereas kind of, in my opinion, in, in, in Europe, it's more often that they're, uh, that they're uh, person centric. So, so mm-hmm. someone who goes to a conference goes there like for, th- like for themselves or like they, they are an individual entity, like there to learn. 
instead mm-hmm. of um, almost almost like a salesperson. So that's so that's like so 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 in the United States, there's just there's more of a transactional um, underline. Okay. And so yeah, so so because of that, you get conferences that have, especially UX conferences, that have a really really wide array of people who go. So there are designers and engineers and uh, obviously dedicated UX people, but also like, it's just, it's just like, it's just everyone. Um, okay. because I mean it, in the U S yeah, in the U S because it, because it, it, it doesn't matter because you, you, you're just trying to, you know, you're trying to schmooze and get other business deals and send, hand out business cards and stuff. Um, but, uh, but in Europe you get, more you get conferences that are a little more specific and so you uh because they're the focus is on i guess like the like the the person and so Mm -hmm. you get um more specific conferences more specific themes that get a kind of specific type of person um so Mm. so so they they tend to be more specific and less general uh that's that's, That's your theory. That that well, I, that that is my very very rough observation. I don't know. Does that sound right at all? Um. Well, in a way, I see what you mean. I do understand that. Um, what I'm trying to say here is that you know, send us your UXers, and you will be represented as front runners in UX in Denmark to the Danish companies, right? Because mm-hmm. that is what it is. So I mean, even if the company does. They do exactly what you're saying. They send people off as part of their. Um, uh, there's like always a budget for people to to learn, like for courses, like profe- personal professional development. Yes, thank you. Um, and that is the budget that's used for this, right? So it is definitely person centric, but you're still there as you know to show off your company. Mm. But um, I understand what you mean. But it it does go um does go both ways here. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. All right. So what what do you are you know, you put on UX conferences. Do you get to go to them? Uh sometimes I do. I, I mean have, I met you at one. Yeah. Uh I yeah. Sometimes a new thing that I found out is that you can actually trade tickets. So if you have a good conference. Really? Go, yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? Oh um there's this one I'm not I don't know if I'm supposed to be saying this. <laughs> I don't know. Come on. Cut really? this out. Give us the dirt. No one's listening. <laughs> no, seriously. If I offer two seats at my conference for two seats at somebody else's conference, oh, why not? That's a right. great idea. I think it is because I still, you know, the whole idea was that um, since I got laid off my job, I didn't have money for my own personal development, right? Right, right. right. So, like you know, yeah. but like on my own conference, yeah. So, so um, what are, besides your own conferences, mm-hmm. What are some people ask me all the time? You know, what are the best conferences to go to? <laughs> oh. uh, what are some of your favorites? Well, my favorites are I love the From Business to Buttons. Yeah, that's the and one in that's, Stockholm. That's the one we met at in Stockholm, and um, I also really like the company behind it in use. Yeah. Um, speaking of ethical values, they um, I think they're pretty high. Did you um, hear that um, they've pardon? they've did you hear that they've been uh, bought out? Yes. Yes. Okay. So, yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm not breaking the news there. Not to me. No, I do know that. I was um, I was working with them in October, so I did hear about it mm. in November. Yeah. yeah. 
No, and um, and I also really like the conference in um, Malmö, which is like right across the water from Copenhagen in uh, Sweden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've That's fantastic. And it's like all human centric. It's, it's crazy. They have all of their um, videos are online also. Those two are pretty much my favorites. Really and your favorite ones. ones. Yeah. yeah. I haven't, uh, um, I would love to go to the, um, what's it called? The one in Lisbon, LX. Oh, UX LX. You know, I spoke at their very first one. No way. Yeah. Yeah. The first one they had. Um, the conference organizer's name is Bruno, uh, and I'm not going to try and pronounce his last name because I would probably uh, do a terrible job at it. But um, uh, it begins with an F, and he's a wonderful person. He's, he's now quite uh, – he's really made a name for himself among UX speakers because uh-huh. uh, he just – he. He does some things that just put he puts on a wonderful conference. But yeah, I was at his um, his very first ones, and <laughs> and uh, that that was that was quite fun. And I think he's been going for well, maybe well more than four years, right? I think he must be yeah. like on year six or year seven at this point. I would or say at least seven, yeah. So, so. what are what are the um, what are the like besides ethics, which we know is a hot topic, what do you think are the hot topics in in UX in the you know, in Denmark or in Europe or in Scandinavia, whatever, however you wanna, or in general? I hear a lot of people talking about design sprints right now. So okay. and there's also the typical design thinking that's been going on for like a couple of years now. Um, so those are pretty hot topics right here. Design sprints. If I if that's that's just basic. That's 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 a, a merger of agile in design. Yeah. Fitting so fitting design into what, the agile coding development exactly. process. Okay. So that's been going on for several years. I mean, my accident was five years ago, and I was working with it for several years before that. So. Oh wow. Yeah. So that's not so new. Okay. Um, something I see is the behavioral science. I don't know if it's just my personal interest, but I do see a lot of UXers starting to have to work with it. Well, and since that's what we do, we hope so. Well, you know, right. so, so, <laughs> well, I mean, first of all, a, we hope so, but yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, five years ago when we were trying to figure, we, we were, you know, season used to be almost entirely UX centric, you yes. know, um, but, but kind of, I guess saw that, it had become popular and needed to be ahead of the curve. And uh-huh. so uh, we, we've been doing a lot more behavioral science stuff. And we, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like it's, it's, it's getting there slowly, but not yeah. as fast as other stuff because it, at a certain point it's complicated and dense. Yes. And uh, it, it's not, it's so, so, so it's like, it's like a slow steady progression. Um, but we, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I've been trying to hold these behavioral science conferences, and I just I, I'm really not able to sell as many tickets oh, as I want. You, that's good yeah. because neither are we. So <laughs> <laughs> we <laughs> we should we need to join forces because it's just not working for me. I guess we so so we had uh, right yeah so we have you know we have like our classic like uh, you know design courses. Yes. And 
you know, so we've been doing more behavioral science courses and like and putting them out and they're really good. Um, yes. And just like we so, so we like throw it out there and the you know, so the, some people are, are interested in them, but like the majority are people like, hey, how about how about that? Those that old stuff from the UX part? We we want to we want to we want to learn about about that um, instead really? of the, the new stuff. Yeah. So. We, we have also seen that even though we've like we've I think that the behavioral personally I think the behavioral science stuff is more important and uh, it yeah. will give you more of an advantage than the UX stuff that has been around for I mean can we say as important I said personally for me okay let All me right. ask let me ask you a question or I me? mean the, the training at least for okay both of us no uh, you, you Susan yes um how long, how many years has it been available best practices to like make a form? <laughs> right? I mean, what? It's been a very long years? time. I mean, and, right. And people still <laughs> ignore it. Yeah, I know. So, so it's not like, you know, so I just meant like in training, because it's not exactly ah. as if it's like, like, like we have really great UX stuff, but it's not exactly for a lot of the traditional classic you know ucd whatever like it's not exactly like we're breaking like brand new revolutionary ground um right whereas with the behavioral science stuff i feel like in a certain way we are like there's just not there's not that much out there on the topic so that's why i thought ours is you know would be more would be more interesting but um i don't know it's 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 possible that it's too complicated for a lot of practitioners Maybe, maybe that's the thing. I'm not I sure think, people just are not ready for it yet. I, I think they don't see. All right, here's my thought on it. I, but I, I haven't thought a lot about it, uh, although it's been vexing me, as you said, Guthrie, you know, because yeah. it's like, why isn't everyone jumping on yeah. this? Um, I think that... Uh, it's not totally clear to people exactly how to apply it in a way that gets the their employer to fund it. Okay, and I think part to- of it has to do with, um, I re- it reminds me of that conversation we had, Guthrie, about silos. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you have... Uh, People that are in, you know, they're in the marketing department or they're in the UX, you know, the design group or the programming group. And, you know, when you're talking about behavioral science, uh, you know, why people do what they do or uh, how could you, or, you know, how to get people to do something that they're not currently doing or how to get people to change what they're doing or it's so broad and to you and me and Heli, it has total applicability to just about anything. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. You, know, you can use marketing, it. sales, making your life better, being more productive, better design. I mean, you know, you name it. And uh, if there's a person involved in there somewhere, it it you know the what we know about behavioral science is relevant, but. It's so big and so broad and so general, you know, what are the things that you can specific, you know, what are the benefits that you can say are there that that connects directly to some siloed 
department in a large corporate organization. That's mm. that's what I think. You know, I think people just don't. Here's what it reminds me of. You know, um, uh, I write books, right? Mm-hmm. And the books that I write often cross do this. You know, uh, crossover for different fields. You know, like. Like my book, 100 Things Every Designer Needs to Know About People. Is that a design book? Is that a psychology book? Is that a UX book? Like, what is it, right? right. And when you write a book, uh, you have to attach it to a certain category or the mm-hmm. book distributors, the Amazons and the the bookstores, don't know where to put it in the category. Like, literally... They don't know what shelf to put it on in the store. And if they don't know what shelf to put it on in the store, they don't buy it. So that's that's been, you know, initially with my first couple of books, it was a real problem, especially when this was kind of pre, um, you know, pre online Mm-hmm. Where, you know, it had to go, it literally had to go on a shelf in a store. Where was it going to go? And it, it hindered sales of the book because nobody knew where to put it. Mm-hmm. And I think in some ways, behavioral science in general is kind of like that. It's like, yeah. oh, is this? So, your, so your title is UX practitioner at this company. And so if the only training you can get is training with like UX in the title. Yeah. So now I'm going to go and say, I want to take this course on behavioral science, or I want to go to this behavioral science conference. Well, that, that's then, not what know, you do. It's right. like, really? How is that relevant? You know, then you, and then you as the person have to go make this whole case. Or, that maybe or you might not even think it's to relevant make, to you. Or, or yeah, or you may not even think it's relevant, so you don't even check it out. Or if you do check it out, you're having a hard time convincing the person who has the money mm-hmm. to let you go because mm-hmm. they they don't quite get it. So I think that that's, you know, um, that maybe it's too broad because I can, I know for sure that when we go when we teach Guthrie, you know, a UX class, right? And we put in the behavioral science stuff. Oh, in that's the always the favorite. Class. That's what everybody loves. Yeah, they yeah. love. They love the. Oh, it's so the, cool with the eyes and the color. Learning the, about the brain the re- and yeah. the behavior and the cognitive bias. Yeah, I mean, the that's whole the, the stuff. whole like how to do a user test. They, <laughs> no one, no one could people could care less. Right. But but we have you know they're they're learning about it because it's called you know, design. I mean, it's just a, yeah, I think that's, that's part of the problem. So I don't know. I don't know exactly how to solve it, but I wish we could, we need to figure out how to solve this guys. Yeah. Cause I, I would really, you know, it is the favorite part of the work to me. I'll be honest. It's the behavioral science part. It is super interesting. And I wish I had the time and the money to do like a, a master's and a PhD in it so that I could work with it also. <laughs> well, you know, the thing that's also interesting and challenging, you know, Gu- I don't know, Hilly, if you know about Guthrie's doing these um, series of blog posts and videos to go with them oh. on uh, behavioral economics. Right. Okay. Yeah. And he's going, I mean, the research on this stuff is dense and dense. he's going really deep into it, but doing it in, you know, his goal is to, take, you know, one particular research study that has, you know, one really important 
principle coming out of it and to explain the study, but also then explain what it really means and how you would apply it in a real practical way. And um, so I'm, I'm kind of, you know, we'll see how, how popular that is or isn't. I, I think it, some of, some of the research is so dense that you, you know, that's the other thing that, especially I mean, behavioral economics, I think is harder than, much oh, harder than big yeah, science. No, it's, it's even, it's, it's way hard. So, so, so yeah. Susan can do these like cool magic tricks where, where she's like, <laughs> the brain does this thing, like look at the pupils and the pupils move and everyone's like, Oh, like, and this is so cool. Um, and <laughs> And like I'm here being like okay. With the charts and the graphs. Okay. Yeah. So if a person is oriented is 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 in a is in a like like minimize uh, losses orientation, yes. then the results will be this way. But if they're oriented in a maximize gains orientation, then it's like a separate thing. So you have to determine what your audience is and then based you know so it's like it's like this like cuz you know it's economics, right? It's variables. Um, yeah. So it's more powerful, but it's also even a step further on the confusion scale than look at this cool <laughs> thing that the brain does that makes your yes. eyes do something, you know? Exactly. Yeah, so so he's writing, he's writing these blog posts Ugh. and, and then I go, we go through them together because I mean, I, I, you know, I've read a lot of this stuff too. But so I'll go, Guthrie, I don't understand what you're saying here. Yeah, I don't, I don't, know, I don't understand what this chart means. You know? yeah. And I kind of force him to to break it down for the rest of us who, you know, don't have a degree in economics. Dense. It is dense. <laughs> the, the good news, the only thing I'll say that actually is good news about it is that um, more modern research writing is becoming more straightforward and clear. Yes. And that's happening Um, I because I do law Some stuff of too. It. No, a, a lot of it. The vast majority yeah. of papers, um, you you can just I can basically tell when a paper is written, like without looking at it, just by reading the language. And it's like that in the law too, where at least in the United States, there's been a huge emphasis and get rid of the academic perfunctories yes. and the floral, you know, the the heretofores and the complicated stuff. Like just like just focus on making it clear and concise and straightforward. Um, All right, yeah. I, so I that have, helps a little bit. I have a theory, guys about how we can mm -hmm. uh, get this to be more easily, um, to get people excited about behavioral science. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, and it could be totally, totally off here. But uh, years ago, um, not too many years ago, but some years ago, uh, do you know B.J. Fogg? You oh, yes. You? Yes. Uh, and he came up with, you know, he's a Triggers. behavioral scientist guy. Um, and he came up with his little formula, mm -hmm. which I cannot quote off the top of my head. But do you know what I mean? He has like a little formula about how to how to put be essentially behavioral science into action into the design of a product. The triggers. Yes, the triggers formula. And, you know, he says you, it's, the, it's these three pieces, this and this and this, and first you do this, then you do this, then you do this. But it's kind of this nifty formula. Um, by the way, it's, it's, Thank B, it's B equals Matt. So behavior equals motivation, ability, and trigger at the same moment. Thank you. you Thank you very much. 
And then um, another person who did something a little bit similar is uh, our friend Neri Ayal. Can, can, I, can I just stop you? Yes. I'm looking at the chart. Yes. This chart is the most complicated thing I have ever seen. This yes. is so... Here, I'm going to describe it in words, okay? There, okay. Is, a, there is a curved line on a chart, yeah. okay? On yeah. there, are the two axes are yeah. on the vertical high motivation to low motivation, and the horizontal hard to do to easy to do. Those are okay. all in black. Okay, yeah. here are words that are in blue: yeah. motivation triggers yeah. fall here, ability triggers succeed here, action line. Okay, doesn't sound that bad. It's uh, this is very complicated. Okay, but here's the thing. <sighs> I know you think it's very complicated, but he, here's what he's doing that, that I think is kind of magical and is and we have to take lessons from this if we're going to move, you know, behavioral science forward in our world. First of all, he he's taking an entire field and summarizing it into B equals MAT, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, so on the one hand, it seems simple. On the other hand, when you look at it, it's not so simple that you can just figure it out on your own, right? You need help from him to figure mm -hmm. it out, but you get the feeling that if you took the class, you'd be able to figure it out. Do you see the difference? Yeah. yeah. It's like a it's like a whole world in the one it's like E equals M C squared. Mm -hmm. Did I say that? Is that what that formula is? By the way? Okay. <laughs> I, I just came out of my mouth, but I wasn't sure. I'm not a you know I did say major but it's like it's like this it makes you feel like there is a whole world encapsulated and if you just put in a little bit of effort this master person will be able to to show you the magic okay <laughs> and Nirial does a similar thing with his he has his hooked yeah you know, theory and his hooked uh uh, a, a formula. He's got a, a, a kind of a formula in the same way. So I think what you have to do is you have to have a, a you know, a, a, a construct um, that you are saying, you know, if you learn this construct, then you will know how to apply behavioral science to X. And I think that what we're doing in, uh, at least Guthrie, you and I, and, and Helen, maybe it's true for you too, we're saying, oh my God, behavioral science is amazing. You have to come learn about it. <laughs> you know? yeah. And we open our arms out and this is giant world. Yes. Yeah. And it seems like, it's like, really? It, that seems really big. What is it? What's it about? What do I apply it to? It seems like overwhelming and maybe too nebulous. Yeah. So that's... That, that's my theory. Right. And what I was trying to do with the conferences was kind of narrow it in completely to just be about nudging, which yeah. is like tiniest part of, of yeah, yeah. science, right? And still, I mean, uh, people are, you know, it's interesting. People are interested in the cases that you can show, but, you know, they still, they don't have what you're exactly what you're saying. They don't have that, you know, how do I explain to my boss that this is important for my work? Yeah, we're gonna work on this. Let's do that. I would love to be involved. We're gonna we're gonna crack this nut, as they say. All right. Now okay. I have a totally unrelated question to anything we've been talking about. Cool. You ready? Yes. Tell me about bicycles and Copenhagen. 
Sure. Um, there, there... When we were in Copenhagen, we were sitting outside the subway stop waiting to meet someone. Mm-hmm. I have never seen so many bicycles in one place in my entire life. Guthrie, how many were there? Um, like about a thousand. A thousand. Probably, probably. It's crazy, isn't it? And it's... and of of so many different styles and ways yeah. to have the carry packages or add on the children or. Yes. That's and is, it, it looked to me like these were not all locked up. Oh, they are. They are? They'll get stolen, oh, they'll get stolen if they're not locked up, that's okay. for sure. Okay. Yes. Definitely. So, yeah, so tell me about, you know, the bicycle culture. Um, well, we all ride our bikes everywhere. You do? <laughs> yeah, I know an American who just moved here, and he's like, I lost 11 pounds moving here because I ride my bike everywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, so like uh, even in the cold weather? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it doesn't get, it doesn't get that cold there though. Oh, it's cold. Today it's like minus 4 Celsius, which is what? 25 Fahrenheit? Yeah, so that's not bad at all. Cuz no. where I am it's minus there, 4 Fahrenheit. Right, I see. <laughs> this is cold for us. So it, like how many how many cold. how many inches of snow do you get? I mean, you guys get a lot of snow in the winter. No. We used to. When I moved here, when I was 15, we had real winters. Yeah. And I live close to a lake and it would freeze and we would walk across and it's a big lake. We would walk across it. And now, I mean, I saw it this morning. It's, you know, there's a, a little tiny layer of ice on it because it's been cold for like three days. Really? It's yeah, not frozen it's not, solid. No, 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 not at all. Wow. So it's changed. All right. You know. So you, you, you have a bicycle? I do. I do. I had to change the model after I had my accident because I had a uh, kind of a sports kind of mountain bike before and Mm -hmm. i can't do that with my neck i can't bend my neck that way anymore so i got like a real you know grandma they call them grandma bikes here (laughs) (laughs) so where you're you know your back is completely straight and you've got your arms up in a little rabbit like position (laughs) yeah yeah so so it's i mean so i live in chicago and there's actually a lot of people bike a lot in chicago Really? Okay. Oh, no, it's huge. Yeah, there's bike lanes everywhere. And it's one of the cities with, I think, the most bike. They got the, the little rent-a-bikes everywhere. Right. Um, yeah, and there's uh, Lakeshore Drive. That's that's a huge bike trail, like, up and down the city. It, there's a lot of a lot of bike stuff. The problem is, is that, you know, in the winter, if it snows, I mean, well, yeah, it's two problems. First, there's potholes everywhere. Okay. And second... Okay there it like when it snows i mean it gets very slick and it's you know like blizzardy and it's like you know it's like negative 10 centigrade all the time and it's just cold that's bad i mean there's an expression here that says uh it's not the weather it's the way you dress so we kind of right you understand what i'm saying yes, is that yeah. absolutely cold outside can, on layers right can can just for fun can you say that in danish um, it's gone right now. I'm sorry. I think I'm a little... <laughs> I might, I might remember it in a little bit. All right. If you remember it, I'd love to, that would be fun to hear in Danish. Yeah. So I, I was just really impressed by, uh, how, how many people were really, you know, riding a bike and it looked right. like they, they ride the bike to the subway stop. Yeah. You do that sometimes. Um, what I'll usually do is ride my bike to the subway stop, but then I'll bring my bike cause since I don't even know, like three or four years ago, they changed the rules so you could actually bring your bike on the trains. Yeah, they have that in Chicago too. 
That's awesome. Yeah, I love that. Your bike then, right on. Yeah. And then when I get to the city, you know, I'm free to move anywhere I want with my bike. Do they have the buses that you put the bike on? No, no. So I in, think they, no. In, in Chicago, um, all of the buses, they have a, a, a bike rack in the front of the bus. So when the bus stops, oh. you just like go and you put your bike on and you like, you can lock it in and you can get on the bus. And then we get off, you just take your bike off the bus rack. That's really cool. Yeah, I just feel like here in the U.S., I think... I'm sure less people bike, but it's a lot of people in Chicago. It it, it seems like, it, to me, biking, riding a bicycle in Chicago would be like a horrifying, scary experience unless you were on Lakeshore, you know, on the Lakeshore drive bike path. Why? <clears throat> There are uh, bike lanes on a lot of on um, there. There are official bike routes where there are like dedicated really? bike lanes on a lot of. What about right hand turns though? Do people respect that? People in cars. What do you mean? I mean, here everybody knows that you have to wait and you have to look to your right to make sure that no bikes are coming. Whereas in the states, people yeah. are not used to bikes, so they uh, they don't. They cut work. over that bike path. Line, uh, I I think people are are pretty aware of that i mean it's also i i just feel like there are a lot of times um the bikes i'm trying i'm trying to they there are okay sorry uh right hand turns in particular um are almost never or almost are, would not be a problem because I'm trying to think of a situation in which a car would be turning right, but a bike would be going straight. And I suppose yes. it would be if they're like just on a regular green light. But just the way the bike lanes work is if you're turning right, you're you're going to be in the in the in bike that lane. bike yeah, lane. Yeah. You you like merge yeah. into it to make a right hand okay. turn. So okay. yeah, because the because the because I think if I remember correctly, you guys have oh okay so. Um, the bike, the dedicate when when I say dedicated bike lanes, like when you had dedicated bike lanes, do you have like a, a media? Is there like a median strip between like this? The bikes go here, and then the road is over here. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's it's different here. So the 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 dedicated bike lane is literally just an extra. It's just like a it's another lane of road, but it's connected mm -hmm. to the rest of the street. So if you're a car turning right you merge basically to the right side of the road which is where the bike lane is right and so yeah. so the bikes so the bikes have to so they're sharing it's like they're sharing the road together so yeah. there's not like a separate light for bikes where they go back and forth and so no. all the bikes going one way are with the cars on that side of the street and all the bikes going the other way are with the cars going yeah. the other way well it's the same here yeah okay so yeah so so it's i feel like it's not as dangerous just because um there there would i don't think there would be a situation in which a biker like it would be the same as if you know you were driving and a car wanted to make a right hand turn and you were behind the car like you would like stop you know you would like see the car turning right okay. and then you'd go um, but i'm sure yeah. people get killed all the time riding bikes <laughs> thank you, you know? <laughs> i've heard about the murder rates in chicago <laughs> actually um, Lakeshore Drive is way more dangerous, honestly. Really? Um, because it's very, very busy and little kid. There's, there's nothing to stop like little kids from like running in front of the bike lanes. 
Whereas right. at least in the street, it's like a street. Yeah, it's yeah. true. I've been, you know, walking in that area and, and I have to cross the bike lane and it's, that's, it's very, yeah, uh, it's tough. the bike, the bike people are going really fast like there. And, yeah, yeah. You, can, you could definitely get in trouble. I'm anyway, sure I just bike, wanted the biking and I just wanted to ask about the bikes because we were really impressed with all the, all the different types of bikes and. There's I, a certain street here also that you don't want to bike on if you're not like a local. Oh. Yeah. Really? Well, why? I don't know. I don't know why it's it turned out that way, but it's kind of it has like its own rules. I don't know. And people drive crazy fast also. So I don't know. <laughs> it's really funny. Right. It's in so the center, central town. Beware any of you who end up going to Denmark. Don't yeah. you know, beware where you're biking. Well, um, all right. So you have your UX conference in next, in next month in yes. March. No, it's actually, no, it's in February. It's 27th and 28th. Oh, it's so really coming, coming up. up. Yeah. All right. Well, I know you're busy with that. Don't get too stressed out. Thank you. What else, are you do- what else are you doing? What else are you working on? I am freelancing as much as I can. Wait, uh, so really? You do what? Uh, so Hille is available for projects for consultancy. What, you bet. Uh, yeah. What? What's your What's your specialty? I love any contact with the customers. So user testing or usability testing. Um, I like doing wireframing also and the and concept development. Those are my favorite parts. So do you get involved in like, given that fact that you've lived so many places and you speak so many languages, do you ever get involved with like international user testing? I haven't really. No, it's been very Danish for Danish companies. Yeah, well, that's another thing. You know, we're all very alike here. We don't, you know, Danes. I think Danes are very alike. I mean, of course, I'm different. (laughs) 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 But, um... Well, I was just thinking you'd be a great person to, you know, if it because I, I we have clients um, periodically who they want to conduct user testing in other places, mm-hmm. and they want someone to help them plan and run that who who un- understands that, you know, the cultures are different, the languages are different. Yeah, it's it's more complicated than just doing a user test in the U.S. So I was just thinking that might be it. You know, you'd be a great person to hire for that. Thank you. That would be fun. I would love that. So anybody out there who's looking for uh, a freelance UX person. Yeah, definitely. uh, As soon as she's done with her conference, she'll have uh, some some time available to do that. Okay. Guthrie, you have any other topics or questions? No, uh, nothing in particular. I don't. We should ask so. uh, Hillary though. If people want to get hold of her. Yeah. How would they do that? Uh, my phone number and email is available on the uxcopenhagen.com um, website. That's probably the easiest. Okay. Or otherwise, get in touch with Susan or Guthrie. Yeah. Info <laughs> yeah. at theteamw.com. We can pass anything along. Thank you. If if people want. Mm-hmm. And uh, if anyone wants to uh, uh, buy me a bicycle. <laughs> you can borrow mine. <laughs> I need one. I mean, talk about, you know, grandma bikes. I need like a, like an old grandma bike. I mean, I need like, yeah. I like the ones 
Does anyone ride these in Copenhagen? They have the the like two back wheels. Um, they do, but it would usually because you have be because you have a disability. How about you're just like not very good on bikes? Is that a disability? Because that's oh, you know. I think that's just called a <laughs> tricycle. Yeah, I want a very large tricycle. <laughs> if someone would send me <laughs> a really oh, large tricycle, or uh, do they have that. like recumbent bicycles? Do you know what they do though? The three-wheeled bicycles are very popular with families. You know, where they have a big bucket in front when they plant all their kids in it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and where they have three wheels, where they have one wheel up front and two in back. Yeah, you'd be perfect. They actually probably have two wheels in front. I'm not completely sure. Some of them have one, but those are like more sleek. But there's definitely those are that, that would be perfect for you, and then you can yeah. have big box for anything you want to buy hey, and why don't they make bike cars so it's it's powered by like obviously it's a bike but there's like a front and a back and so there's like someone can be in the back also pedaling but it's the <laughs> width but it's got four wheels and so then you have like room to put like lots of groceries and stuff that's a good idea. I've seen a party bike here where I think you can seat eight people. Oh, that, that, that's great. They a all party pedal. bike? Yeah, and they're all they're in a circle, right? And they're all facing each other. <laughs> and I think there's a table in the middle for your drinks or whatever. No so way. Pedal. And then they convert the energy from all these people pedaling. Oh, it goes my God. straight. <laughs> okay, if that's true, if you're mm-hmm. not pulling our leg... I'm not. I'll send you a picture. Uh, please send me a picture. I'm going to post it when we post okay. this podcast episode on the blog. I'll post a picture <laughs> of the party bike. <laughs> no, I'll be known for the party bike. That's good. I like that. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, again, if you want to get hold of Hille about her conferences or um, for freelance, she's available for freelance work, uxcopenhagen.com. And I really hope one of these days we're going to get over and we're going to speak at uh any of the conferences you'll have us in we don't we don't speak in danish so i don't know if we can come to the behavioral science one you know i really want to make that international so we'll see and i'm working on it i really am so i found that quote we were looking for okay what is it it's called da finnes ikke dårligt vær kun dårlig påklædning which means there is no such thing as bad weather only bad clothing Go. And that that's great. That's what we'll end on. Thanks so much, Heli. You guys, thank you so much for having me and thank you for helping promote my conference and everything. And I just want to say it's been a really huge honor. Um, Susan, when you wrote me and asked if I would be on your podcast, I'm like, wait, you're getting this wrong. I should be doing a podcast with you. So I just want to let you know that I'm just super honored to be on here. Thank you. Ah, thanks you too. And uh, we'll we'll talk to you soon, I'm sure. Oh, sounds great. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.